0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. So last week, um, we started this new series called Foundations, the Building Blocks of faith, and we are excited about this. I am. Um, We're going through some of the basics, and yet the same basics are so important for us. So last week, we started out and said the first words of the Apostles' Creed, which are kind of building blocks that the church has seen for millennia, that the building block starts with, I believe in. I believe, not I know. And I said the difference is because belief means trust, reliance, the fact that you can just fall into your father's arms, like this picture, versus knowing can be very detached, actually disconnected. Do we know a lot of stuff? Yeah. Do I know biblical theology and stories from the Bible and truths from God's words? Absolutely. So I know in my head, but I believe with my heart. They go together. And uh, it's not just about knowing, it's about trusting and believing and relying on. It's really about that relationship with God, not just understanding some ideas. Because you see, we live in a world that is filled with a lot of noise. And um, we're bombarded. I think there's 360 different advertisements that are thrown at you from different forms of media every day. And we are bombarded with so much stuff that it colors and confuses and clouds over what life is about. And it gets very confusing to us. And we need to have some type of a filter that finally comes down and says what's really important. And I think the Apostles' Creed, as we're going through it, is kind of the rule of faith. It's kind of a filter that says, this is what's foundational. This is what it's all about, and it's all about God. It's really all about God. And your belief in God actually affects all the other beliefs about everything else. So last week we covered I Believe In, which moves us now to the first part of the creed of God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now, over 85% of people say they believe in God in the United States yet today. And when they confess Him, um, they'll not get too far as to how to describe Him. They'll probably call Him God Almighty. He's Almighty, He can do anything He wants, He's got all the goods. He can do it. Um, we've almost got this Zeus like lightning bolt kind of feel to God Almighty because he can do whatever he wants. He wills whatever he wants. He gets away with whatever he wants to get with, and that's the way it is. And so, beyond that, most people don't know what to make of him. They don't know what else to attribute to him. He's perfect, he knows everything. You know, We get these omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent kind of attributes in the abstract, but what is he really? Okay, It's almost like he's one of our superheroes, just a little stronger, and you can almost see that superhero action figure, God Almighty, there he is, wow, and we can kind of play with him and we use him to zap other people or do whatever you want, I guess, but that's a problem. Because if all you know about is that God is great or God is powerful, you don't know much about God at all. Saying God is great is really almost, you know, redundant. Big deal. It's kind of like saying Bill Gates is rich. Do you know anything about Bill Gates? Do you know what makes him tick? Do you understand who he is? Do you really relate to him at all? Or is just he's just rich? Is God just great? Is he just all powerful? Is that all we can say about him? We need to know how God is great, what makes him great, what's he really like. And the greed, creed comes to our aid, and because it's, it's, scriptures are just redundant behind it, that we have God, the Father Almighty. That is, before there was a world, before God created anything, God was the eternal father who eternally loved his son in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that before there was world, before anything, there was love. And this perfect community of relationships that spills over then in joy and love to create this wonderful world and everything out of that love. Not because God was lonely. No, he was complete in himself. He already had love. He was love. Not that God was, you know, it's just because God loved That he created because God had this perfect relationship that he created us in his image. So the creed says, God is almighty. That is, he is the almighty father. Now there's many Bible passages and we're going to go through a few of those that talk about this juxtaposition of almighty and father. Psalm 135 says it this way, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, and in the seas and all the deeps. In Isaiah 44, it says this, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. He's almighty. He's ultimate. There is no one besides him. That's it. And yet... God is not some tyrant who uses his power as he wills for his own perspective. He's not some brute force that just gets away with whatever. He is primarily known throughout the scriptures and throughout all the stories of the Bible as one who has compassion, slow to anger and abounding in love. Psalm 103, one of my favorites, says it this way. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So what we see in the Bible again and again is this creative tension, okay, about our God. That God is an infinitely powerful and beyond comprehension, and yet at the same time he is intensely personal as our Father. Higher than the highest, but also compassionate, condescending, coming to us down in his love. And so we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now, you might say, okay, great. So how do you know that God is the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Uh, is it just by you know, proof texting, finding this Bible passage and that one and pulling it here and there? No, we know this primarily because we know the Son who came. And the son who introduced us to the father time and again. And he came, Jesus came right to our level, right where we are and says, here's the father. When you see me, you're going to see the father. Whatever I'm doing, the father is doing. And you can understand who the father is by seeing how I live and what I'm about. And then he tells us in Matthew six and elsewhere, he gives us a prayer and he says, pray like this. Our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil so jesus doesn't abstract god into something that you can just inspect or look at or keep at a distance he calls god our father And elsewhere in the New Testament, he uses this very personal, almost amazingly shocking word, Abba, Father. It was probably the first word any little toddler would say, Abba, Dada, Father. And he says, that's how you can talk to God. That's the kind of relationship you have, is with a little toddler and his father is your relationship to your God. And he gives us that opportunity. It's only here, in all of the Near Eastern religions, it's only Christianity that we see this kind of personal love of God for his people. It's rather amazing. But he also doesn't pray in this prayer, our Father who art in the family room. (laughs) Okay? And that is kind of the way some people might think of it. It's not like he's domesticated. It's not like he's just kind of there, my bud, my homeboy, whatever. It is our God who art our Father who art in heaven. And what we see in this prayer is that God is infinitely powerful and beyond comprehension, and yet he is so intensely personal at the same time. Isaiah he talks about this in his uh, his prophetic book, Isaiah 57. He says, "For thus says the one who uh, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up." who inhabited, inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is transcendent and imminent. He is above all and close to everyone. He is high up, and he comes low down. Now, I'm dating myself. Actually, this happened before that I can remember, but Yuri Gagarin the first man to orbit the earth. Now, he was supposed to have said when he was orbiting the earth, he looked for God and didn't find him there. Actually, he never said that. He actually was a Russian Orthodox believer and would never have said that. It was Nikita Khrushchev talking in a uh, plenary session to the Communist Party that said, Yuri Gagarin went up to the skies and orbited the earth and never found God there. Pretty pathetic, though, actually, to think that that's how you would inspect, that God would be orbiting the earth like some satellite, you know, just outside of the orbit. And, oh, there he is. We're going to find him there. No, our God is so far beyond. He's almighty. He's inscrutable. He is not able to be accessed just by the way I want to access him. And yet, our God chooses to come to us when we have no way to connect to him, and he becomes personal to us. That's what fascinates me in the Bible about creation. I don't know if you realize this, but there are actually two accounts two stories of creation, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And in Genesis 1, it's rather amazing. Genesis 1 is that wonderful liturgical kind of dance and chorus, and it's just cosmic in scope. And God is called Elohim in that text. Elohim is the word for God, being God on high, God Almighty, God of all hosts. And he creates Evening and morning, day one through day six, and he speaks out a word, and it is done by fiat, just simply because he said it. That's how powerful he is, and he creates on the evening of the sixth day humanity in his image. It says, let us create humankind in our image. Now, if that's the only account we had of creation, we could understand God is high and lifted up and mighty and amazing, but we would still be wondering, I think, how personal is he? Who is he really like? And what do we do with him? But then in Genesis 2, we have another account of God. And I think there's a beauty behind that one. In that count, we have the name Yahweh, the name that is, the name that God personally gives to Abraham and to Moses at the burning bush. And the one who says, I am the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, the one who personally relates to people and Yahweh in this story is in the midst of a garden and he creates this garden and then he gets down on his hands and knees, it appears, he forms Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathes into him the breath of life. And he walks with Adam in the garden. And you get this whole personal connection to Yahweh in a way that we would never have known. But if we only had that account of God, we might think, hey, he's just kind of my caretaker, the one who, you know, takes care of everything that I need, kind of like how my cat at home thinks I am his servant and he owns the house. Right? But in all wisdom, in the book of Genesis, we have this balance of God's infinite greatness and his intensely personal fatherliness. Elohim and Yahweh to describe both things in creative tension in God to show us who our God is and what he is all about. And the fact that we see, even at the beginning, he says, let us make man in our own image. As we see how God works again and again, and we see the spirit of God hovering over the waters, we see from the beginning the intense personal relationships within God, the Trinity, three persons in one God who in perfect community and joy spill over their joy and love to create us and to create us in relationship to God. I love how Michael Reeves states this in his book, Delighting in the Trinity. The most foundational thing in God is not some abstract quality, but the fact that he is Father. God is not primarily a mechanism of your thought or to be accessed, even primarily through cognitive functions. God has most primarily and always been Father. Since God is before all things a father and not primarily creator or ruler, all, all his ways are beautifully fatherly. Wow. It's all about him being our father, provider, giver. He does everything for us from the beginning. Now I know when we start talking about fatherhood and God as father, it is problematic in our day and age, it probably has always been problematic in one form or another because we have had many, um, you know, struggles with fatherhood. We've seen bad father examples and bad father figures and even deadbeat dads around at times. And we've gotten all this, it went from father knows best and now father can't do anything right. And honestly, some of us have been scarred by our fathers in one form or another, whether it's because um, just wasn't around physically or emotionally, or even been abusive in one form or another, or whatever you have. And so, calling God our Father can be problematic for people. It almost turns them off and goes like, how can that be? But I think it can be healing. It can be truly healing for us all to understand. Because God is the father we really need. His true fatherhood is not defined by even by our good fathers that we've had on this earth. True fatherhood is defined throughout the scriptures as a father's love for a son from all eternity who generated, or it says only begotten son, which we could get into that sometime. It's an amazing phrase that is used of the son. But the fact that there's always been a father-son in the power of the spirit relationship And that true fatherhood is seen in how God has so loved and well-pleased in his son and so loves this world that he gives his son. He defines what fatherhood is. And our fatherhood is just a reflection of that at best, in response to that. So God is not the figure who just is like a Zeus-like guy with the lightning bolts, just ready to do whatever he wants. He's the father who forgives and the father who heals and the father who has compassion and the father who sacrifices and gives everything for his children. I love how Psalm 27 says it. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. In other words, again and again in the scriptures, even if we've come through a difficult time in our life because our family has struggled, every family does, our God is the one who takes us in. Our God is the one who adopts us. Our God is the one who welcomes us, who is pleased with us, who loves us, who will never forsake us or leave us. So a lot of us might need to process this. And maybe if we struggle with God's fatherhood or fatherly nature, We may gain counsel by thinking through how he is our true father, the one who can be all for us and he can bring healing to us. Ultimately, he will not just bring healing to me personally in this life, but God, our father, has chosen to love this world so much he's going to heal the whole world and all of creation. That is his intent. Fyodor Dostoevsky, one of my favorite Russian novelists. Well, how many Russian novelists are my favorite, I guess? So uh, he's one of my favorite novelists, Um, very strong believer. He wrote this. I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, like the despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man, That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all crimes of humanity, of all the blood that they have shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. That is how we confess God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, That is his intent from the beginning. So, what's the difference? What does it mean that we believe in God the Father Almighty? Big deal. Remember last week we talked about balance, clarity, and finally, belonging. We'll go through them one at a time. I think this teaching gives us balance. Now, maybe you're in here and you think God is almighty, powerful. Yeah, I got that down. And he seems remote. He's distant from you at some form, in one form or another. And maybe your spiritual life looks more like a to-do list because the number one thing in the back of your mind is, I better not upset the big guy. And that's what Christianity or religion or spirituality is, is just don't upset the big guy. Keep him happy. Okay? On the other side of things, maybe you're not, that's not your issue. Maybe you understand God is very personable and very, well, he's become domesticated. Do you know? He's, he's become my therapist and my life coach, and he's there to just make my life happy. He's kind of a version of Santa Claus in some form. He's tame and he's totally predictable to the point of boring. He just comes along to bless me whenever I need a blessing. Kind of like I said, my cat looks at me as his servant, right? Well, you need to grow in the sense of God's holiness and otherness and almightiness. You know, if you want to balance this out, he is all-powerful and almighty. And he's intensely personal at the same time. So if you struggle with his personalness, the fact that he just seems distant from you, I think you need to marinate then in the promises of God throughout the scriptures of his fatherly goodness. That you just soak in the fact that he is well pleased with you, that he has chosen you, that he is your father who has such compassion that He is always with you and has given everything to you. On the other hand, if all you've got is this personal me and Jesus homeboy kind of feel, or God is just whatever, you know, he's okay with whatever I do, he's not really different than you, then maybe you need to marinate in the majesty of your God. Maybe Job chapter 38 and following to see just how big your God is or Romans 8 through 11 where you see the immensity of what God is beyond my ability to understand or comprehend and is absolutely free from taking advice for me. So Martin Luther, the reformer, put it this way. He said again and again, we are to fear and love and trust God above all else. It's fear and love, not one or the other. To be in awe and amazed and humbled and shocked and a little, once in a while, terrified that this is God we're talking to. But understand he's totally approachable and he's done everything for us. In freedom, he's given us his son, so we love him. That, I think, brings balance. Secondly, clarity. Now, some falsely lean towards, and I think our country was kind of founded with this understanding called deism. I don't know if you've ever heard that word before, but basically deism is a belief that God, the creator, set up this entire cosmos universe like kind of creating a watch. He's the big watchmaker who formed this intricate watch, wound it up, and now walked away. It's on your own. And a lot of people kind of live with that understanding of God being kind of the architect, the watchmaker, the making the great machine, whatever it is. And we can kind of now just live by the mechanistic, naturalistic order of things and go our way. Boy, that is not Christianity. Other people may believe that God, in some way, is someone who is more like a heavenly grandpa. He's no judge at all. He's this guy kind of sitting on his heavenly rock or somewhere in the heavenly places, looking at all these little kitties around him and going, Oh, shucks, you shouldn't have done that. Oh man, please don't be that mean to those, Ah, waiting for the parents to come. You know how grandparents let the kids get away with everything and... Right, as if God doesn't judge or get upset about anything or has no, quote, wrath. I know that's kind of maybe a tough word to hear. Wrath about anything. It's as if God is all love. That's all God is. He would never get upset. He would never do anything but love us. Uh Uh-huh. Here's the reality. It's true in our lives as well. You, You can't separate love and wrath Okay, how do I know this? You try to mess with my kids. You try to mess with my wife. You will see wrath, right? Why? Because I'm a wrathful person? I'm just angry all the time? No, because I love them so much, I am in a sense, je- that word jealous comes up about God in the Bible. That he is so jealous for you, He will let nothing get in the way between you and him. Nothing. And that includes even our brokenness and the ravages of sin in our lives. He doesn't want that in the way. He knows how it corrupts and corrodes and is bad news for us and how it can get in the way of his relationship with us. He is going to have wrath against sin and its ravages. To say God is love is to realize he's going to do something about the evil in this world and in our lives. Finally, it lets you know that you really belong. You know, we pray, and Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. Do you realize how important that first word is, our It's not my Father. I cannot make my faith a private, personal matter. It's just me and Jesus, me and God, and who cares about you? We belong together. It's our Father. How can I treat you, no matter who you are, no matter what you could do, as anything different than the way God has treated you in Jesus Christ? You are family. You're stuck with me, and I'm stuck with you. I don't just drop you because I didn't like a Facebook post you put up. This is family. We're going to stick together in this because we belong. You see, it isn't about luck or chance. It's not accident. It's not an afterthought or a mistake. You are God's purpose. You are his intentional action. You are the intentional action of an almighty father who in relational joy and love gave you life and then gives you his son, Jesus Christ, so that you would be with him for eternity. And so Jesus prays the Lord's prayer for us, with us, as one of us. Isn't that amazing? Here, God the Son comes and says, our father, your father and my father. And he's basically telling you You call on God the way I call on God. I'm no different than you. Now, how did he do that? Because I don't deserve to call God Father. I walked away from him time and again. I still do. I still struggle with that, right? Because Jesus is the one the Father gave to make it happen. Romans 8.32 says, He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So God has provided for us, through his son Jesus, his death on the cross, facing the wrath of God against sin there, so that we can call our God, Father, along with Jesus, In the same way. What a privilege. What joy. What an amazing gift. So, where are you this morning? We're talking, this is foundations, the building blocks, okay, of faith. Maybe you've made God too pedestrian in your life where he's just kind of yawn. Of course he's here. Of course he's going to give me. Lord, just give me this today. Just help me with this. Just help me with that. You come along with me, God, wherever I'm going. That's where I want you to be. Or maybe you're on the opposite. Where God is so remote and just kind of abstract or you just don't know what to do with him that you have no idea how close he's come to you and his son, Jesus Christ, that no one can come closer. I want us all to receive the gift of God, the Father Almighty, this day, and the joy of the two together as one. And so I think it's time to pray for that. Please pray with me. Lord God, the Father, Abba, You are almighty. You are beyond all. There is no way we could relate to you except that you chose to come to us, even at our worst, and to give us your best. Lord God, some of us today have just treated you like you are tame and domesticated, and forgive us, Lord, for that. We have treated you so little, and neglected you, and just run our own lives as our own dictators, Lord. Forgive us, we fall at your feet. Others here, Lord, don't know that personal closeness of Abba, Father. Lord God, we pray that you open their hearts and lives that they would receive the healing that comes to know you. Personally, pleased with them, loving them, being their Father, being the one true God for them. We pray, Lord God, that through this series we grow in balance, in clarity, and in belonging, that this church, that this family becomes those three things in such a way that no one, anyone who comes to us can see that clearly, what you've given us, and they see your fatherly goodness, the amazing sacrifice of your Son, and the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit through us all. This we all pray in Jesus' name. Amen.